Hey, good morning, Brookside. It's uh, great to be together here this morning in this place. And I um, wanted to let you know, uh, nice to see some Cub attire out there. Go Cubs, or they, yeah, a couple of you. Um, wanted to let you uh, know that as we're gathered here today, this morning in this place, we've got about 120 of our middle school students and their small group leaders that are at their biggest event of the year, their fall retreat. And I tell you that because um, I got a text this morning just that God is doing some incredible things on that retreat. And um, I wanted to let you know that because you are a huge part in that. Um, with your commitment to this church and your investment and your time and energy and resources into it, you're allowing us to be a next generation church, a church that's looking in the lives of the next generation and saying, Lord, with everything we have, we want to pour in them and we want to raise up a generation that knows you and honors you. And so thank you uh, for your, for your uh, crucial role in that. Uh, well, this uh, next couple weeks are uh, pretty exciting for us, as Karen said. Next weekend, I, I just, I'll be honest, I just can't wait. Um, what a unique and a special opportunity we have to honor Stephen Becky, 35 years of faithfulness. Um, it is going to be awesome. Come early and, uh, and expectant. It's going to be a, just a really, really great morning. Then looking ahead to the following week, we're going to finish our Dear Church series. And then into November, then on November 13th and November 20th, we're going to celebrate the one-year anniversary of our three-year initiative for the city. And uh, really lean into that and talk about that. It's so exciting to be able to see and to hear what God is doing through that initiative already. And so we're just going to refresh that and really go back to that and, and really celebrate what God is doing. This morning, as Karen said, we are in our Dear Church series, and this series, if you've been here the last several weeks, you know that in this series, what we're, what we're doing is we're looking at the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to these different churches that he was visiting and encouraging, the ones that he was even establishing, and so we've been kind of tracking with him, and what we found over and over again is that the truths that the Apostle Paul wrote to these churches years and years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, are so timeless. And they're so applicable, the things that we find in them. And so today we're in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at some two very powerful uh, verses. One of the things, though, that's been coming to my mind recently um, quite often is just how fast life seems to go by. You know what I'm talking about? Now, there are times, I feel old saying that, by the way, but there are times when life doesn't go fast enough, right? You're in a season and you just wish that it would disappear, but aren't there other times where you just look and you just go, wow, if I blink, I'm going to miss something. The other day I was looking at Aiden, uh, our oldest son. He's 11, and he's almost as tall as me. And I know the bar's not very high on that, but, but still, right? I mean, I was still kind of in shock and awe, and I just thought, man. And it just made me say to God, I just said, God, help me not to miss a moment. Um, help me not to miss a moment. And the reason I, I mentioned that this morning is because I really want to, my prayer this week is that we would be able to slow down long enough to look at the book of Romans, this incredible letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church, and we would slow down enough, as Rob said, and we would just invite the Spirit of God, and we would say, God, would you so speak into us this morning? Um, we wouldn't miss the moment. We wouldn't miss what God has for us. Um, I believe these verses are going to come to life for you. They're going to answer some key questions this morning. They're going to answer things like, why were we created? Why, why were we created? Um, what does God want to do with our lives? 
uh, in, in reference to even how he created us. If you're newer to church, I'll be honest with you. You came this morning at a perfect time. I believe the scriptures will give you such insight into some very core questions this morning. And then if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I think you're going to find that the words that the Apostle Paul wrote are so incredibly practical. I think you're going to just, you're going to love it and you're going to kind of go, oh, I needed that this morning. Lord, thank you for that reminder. And so before we dive in, I just want to invite God one more time here and just say, uh, let's, and I want to pray together and just say, God, we want to hear from you. And so God, would you come and would you speak? And so would you pray with me and, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And God, it's um, a privilege that we get to gather in this place, that we get to see ministry happening here. We get to see the activity of God here. But also, Lord, we think of what's happening in other uh, areas well beyond these walls. We think of all those middle school students this morning. We think of the things that are happening around the world that you're allowing our church to be a part of. And Father, we just say thank you. Father, thank you that you call us to the greatest mission on the planet. Father, thank you so much. And Lord, we come to you this morning and we just want to say, Lord, we are open to you. God, our hands are open. And we're saying, God, would you speak to us this morning? And so I just want to encourage you, would you even just right now, make it personal, make it personal. Would you say, Lord, I'm open to you this morning. God, would you speak to me? And so just go ahead and do that on your own now. God, I love that every time we pray that, you, you answer those prayers. We, we know it. And um, you're faithful like that. And so... Um, you're a good father, and so I pray now you'd be worshipped and honored in the things that I say, and uh, I pray, God, that your spirit would lead us, and uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there are two really important questions that we're going to see answered in our text this morning. Um, they're questions that in, in so many ways, they help us make sense of life. Do you ever feel like life doesn't make sense? Have you ever felt that way? Like maybe you're just, you feel like, man, I'm just passing through, but, but what's my role, Really? I'm just, I'm passing through this life, and, but how do I contribute? What does it look like? Have you ever felt like life doesn't make sense? These two questions this morning are so important. They're so foundational. The first one is this. Here it is. Why is God worthy of my worship? Why is God worthy of my worship? We're going to talk about what that means even. And then number two is this. How do I worship God? In light of who God is and and, and, and if we can answer that first question, why is he worthy of our worship, then what does it look like? The Apostle Paul is going to help us with that this morning. This, these are questions that people are asking these days. There are more and more people that are looking at religion and they're saying, you know what, I'm just tired of rote religion. There are people that have looked at religious leaders or very religious people and they've said, you know what, their behavior doesn't line up with their, the core things that they're teaching. And so, so many people these days have walked away from the things of God. But to their credit, many of them are doing this. They're saying, hey, forget about religion. I want to know about the God that they're talking about. And so what they do is they peel the veil, you know, behind, off, off of religion. And they look and they ask good questions about God. And they say, well, God, what about him? Is he worth, is he worthy of all the attention that he gets. For others of you maybe here this morning, you would say, you know what, I can remember the moment when God got a hold of my life. 
and the truth of the gospel, it's grabbed you and it's changed you so much from the inside. And and you would look at your life now and you would be more in the camp where you'd say, I want to answer this question right here because you look and you just say, God, I have so much gratitude for what you've done in my life that I'm wondering, God, how does my everyday life, how does it become an expression of worship? What does that mean? When it comes to defining this word worship, though, it's really important. There are a lot of things, aren't there? A lot of ideas maybe that even just come to mind, even as I've been talking already. Some people would say this, you worship what you love. Other people might say this, worship is primarily singing. Worship is what happens in this place. You come here and you have your 60, 90 minutes of worship. This is worship. This is my worship time each week. Others would say this, worship is whatever gets your utmost affection. Worship is whatever you prioritize, whatever you put first. Others might say worship means this. It means just to stand in awe. It means just to be silenced because you're so incredibly amazed. This morning, I want us to think about worship like this. Worship is anything that gives extravagant worth and honor and glory to God. Worship is anything that gives extravagant extravagant worship and it gives honor and and worth and glory to God and so let's get to the text this morning I think you're going to love where we're going we're going to start first in Romans chapter 11 and this text captures one of the most significant worship moments that we find in the New Testament here's what's happening The Apostle Paul, if you know kind of how the book of Romans lays out, the Apostle Paul for the first 11 chapters lays out over and over again rich theology, meaning he lays out over and over again these thoughts and truths about who God is and who we are. And when he gets to the end of it, verse 33 of chapter 11, when he gets to the end of it, it's as though he sets his pen down on the desk and he pushes himself away from the desk. And in just this moment of utter worship, some even say that what he wrote there, it's really a song. That in this, I think it was a very emotional moment for him. Paul has this point where he just goes, oh, in light of everything I've written, I'm blown away. And he says this in verse 33. This is the culmination. This is the crescendo of all of this truth about God and about who Jesus Christ is and how we relate to him. When he gets to the end of that, he just, well, it's it's more than he can take. He pushes away and just, I imagine he lifted his hands and worshiped to God and he says this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, the depth. I I can't imagine it. How unsearchable, he says, are his judgments, and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory. Now, Paul is blown away here. Paul can't take it anymore. It's like he's saying, you know what? In light of everything I've done, Jesus, all that you've done for me, I push away from the desk and I just go, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways. Imagine that. And we're going to look at all of those truths. Paul is blown away. Did you know this? Did you know that right now on planet Earth, we're traveling around the sun at 675, or sorry, 67,000 miles an hour? Did you know that? 
I didn't know that until this week. I was like, wow, that's fast, you know? Um, but think about that. Every time you blink, 20 miles. In the time it takes you to blink, we travel 20 miles. Now, I would think traveling that fast all of the time for all of my life, I would have known that, right? But now, think about this. You step outside. We're traveling around the sun right now at 67,000 miles an hour. But if you walk outside today, the wind is only blowing at 8 miles an hour. It's amazing. And it's been happening forever, right? On top of that, know this. The earth is positioned among all the galaxies in this place. It's called the Goldilocks zone. It's the perfect zone. It's the zone where we're not so close to the earth that we just explode into a ball of flames, but we're also not too far away from the sun that we freeze to death, though in a couple months we might think we're drifting a little bit. But, but it's just this, it's this perfect zone, the Goldilocks zone. Now think about that. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter, and he's just recounted the things about who Jesus is, how personal God is. He's blown away at the fact that our creator God, in all of his amazement, would also make it so that we could know him. And it just blows his mind. And so he says, who has ever given to God that God could repay him? Meaning this. And then he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Who has ever been God's counselor? Who's giving God this brilliance? Who is it? Now, before we get to this critical pivot point, when we get to chapter 12, what I want to do is back up a little bit. Because when we get to chapter 12, verse 1, we're seeing Paul shift gears in the book of Romans. But before that, the reason why Paul had such a crescendo, such a huge moment of worship, is because everything he's written, and this, friends, is the reason why this morning, it's the reason why we worship. It's the reason why the gospel doesn't become stale to us. Imagine, that, imagine back in the day, you're digging for gold, you're a gold miner, and imagine you find a nugget of gold, and then you find another one and another one. That's what Romans 1 through 11 are over and over again. That's why at the end of it, Paul backed up and said, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, oh, I just worship you. And so this morning, as we think about why do we worship I just want to back up and I want to look at some of those things. So Paul said this in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He's kind of setting the stage. He's saying, of all these things I'm going to tell you, I just want you to know on the front end, I'm not ashamed of this gospel I'm about to explain to you because it's the power of God and it's not a small thing. I've seen it bring salvation to person after person after person, change lives all over the place. I was recently in a, a setting where someone was telling this small group of people how they'd gone from being far from God to being into this intimate relationship with him. And they were talking about how they had received God's forgiveness, the grace of Christ, and, and how they had, you know, accepted this new reality that they were living as a child of God. And you could tell as they were talking how emotionally riveting this event was for them. Paul says the gospel, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Yet, Paul looked at his culture and he saw this. He saw people that were far from God. He wrote this, kind of setting the stage in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He says, although 
they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What Paul is saying is this, this first nugget of truth that he's giving us is this. He's saying, I look around my culture, we look around ours, we look in our own lives, and we say, wow, there is a need for God. We cannot bring this sense of, I've got it figured out on our own. Paul is making that incredibly clear. He goes on to say this, that, this, that there needs to be this righteousness that comes from God. And so he says this in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous. Do you agree with that? Were you born righteous? This might make it easier for you. Were your children born righteous if you have them? No, they weren't, right? As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Verse 23, then he says, for all have sinned, for all have short, fallen short of the glory of God. Now remember, Paul is building. He's building. We're getting to this point. Why did he, why did he push back in worship? Well, one of the reasons was he laid it out very clearly. Humanity needs God. All people, he's saying, are far from God. And he talks about in chapter 1 how the wrath of God is going to be revealed because of that. You read through the book of Romans and you can't miss it. Every person on the planet falls short of the goodness and the grace and the glory of God. You fast forward now. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Now the stage has been set, and I, I hope that you can see as we go through this, these nuggets of truth that God gives us, this understanding of well, what does it mean to have life with God? So now in light of this problem that we have, in light of the fact that, that not only Paul's culture, but our culture and us are intrinsically not righteous people, Paul now, he says this, he keeps going, and in chapters 3 through 5, he says, I want to talk to you now about how Jesus Christ brings righteousness to us. So in 5.1, he says this, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. We have peace with God, not on our own, but we have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. We're justified not because today you brought your Sunday best. Isn't that good news? You're justified through faith, and it's through faith in Christ that you and I, we have peace with God. This is so important. And then he fleshes it out even more. We get to verse 6, and you can see why Paul worshipped God when he got to the end. Why did he exalt Jesus when he got to the end of writing this? It says this in verse, uh, uh, yeah, verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, I love that language, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But... God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth of the gospel. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. God, Christ did not say, once Joe gets it all cleaned up, then I'll meet with him. No, he said, while you were still sinners, while you were still in that place, Christ died for you. And then if, as if that wasn't good enough, as if that wasn't good enough reason for Paul to stand back and worship, we get to Romans 8, and it says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
We also see in chapters 6 through 8 in the book of Romans that Paul talks about when you put your faith in Christ that the Spirit of God begins to live in you. And so that you begin to produce this righteousness. You begin to be able to worship God because the Spirit of God is not dead in you, but the Spirit of God is alive in you. And so talking about that, he says this then in verse 6. Again, think of these are nuggets of truth that are building to this point where Paul stands back and he goes, I can't believe it. Verse 6, he goes, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind that's governed by the Spirit, it is life and it is peace. Paul's talking about, well, what does it mean when the Holy Spirit lives in you? It means that you can have life and peace. It means that if you're alive to the Spirit of God that is alive in you, you'll experience life and peace. And so then Paul, I think he just puts an exclamation point on it, yet another nugget of truth. But he poses a question to, to set this one up. And he says this, he says, can anything separate us from the love of God that is in, is in Christ Jesus? Meaning, if you belong to God, if you put your faith in God, he says, is there anything that can separate you from the love of God? And so he writes this, and going on in chapter 8, he says, no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor, in, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's like an exclamation point Paul puts on it. He can't believe it. Nothing, Brookside, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Can you see why Paul pushed back, laid down the pen, and just worshiped. Now when we get to chapter 12, there's a major turn in the text. Chapter 11, nugget after nugget after nugget after nugget of truth. The very first word in chapter 12 takes us in a new direction. Chapters 1 through 11, it's why we worship. Um, if you're not a Christian here today, and you go back and you examine those verses and the truths of Christianity and you accept, you put your faith in Christ, one day you'll look back and you'll go, the gospel, I can't believe it. There's no condemnation for me. The spirit of the creator, the one that's in charge of this planet cruising around like it does, he lives inside of me, and it'll blow your mind. Now we get to chapter 12, verse 1. This first word is so critical that Paul says. It's so important. Paul, as he's writing this letter he now turns this big corner, and this is the first word in chapter 12. Therefore, and when you see therefore, you can think of in light of. In light of everything I've written. He's saying, he's putting down the pen, he's saying, hey, now I'm looking you right in the eye. Therefore, church, Brookside, he's saying, therefore, in light of all of the truths of the gospel, if you believe those to be true, this then is how you live. This then is how you behave. This is how you act. If those things are true of you, then there should be something that would follow. Your belief goes first, but your belief will be followed by your behavior. And so Paul goes into that. He's saying this then is how you respond to everything that has been said that is true. It's interesting. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, there are very few imperatives, meaning very few words that are sentences that go like this. Do this. Don't do that. This is how you need to live. There are very few of those, 1 through 11. 
But when we get to chapter 12, in chapter 12 alone, there are more words like that, imperatives, than there are in the first 11 chapters combined. What Paul is doing, and it's no accident, it's completely by design, he's saying, if the truths are changing your life, if you believe the amazing things that I've laid out for you, he's saying, it should affect you. Therefore, here we go. He's saying, strap on your boots. This is what this is going to look like. And so he says this, looking us right in the eyes. Yeah, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I want to go back to verse 1, and I want to talk about some of these statements he makes. First, he says, therefore, I urge you. You you look into the text, the the, the meaning behind those words, and it's kind of this, this mix between, therefore, I come alongside you like a friend who cares for you. And then it's like this, therefore, I come alongside you, and I'm compelled to tell you. Because the truths are so great. Therefore, I urge you. And then he says, in view of God's mercy, all other religions will say this. You earn to the best of your ability the mercy of God. And you won't know if you've earned it until you're dead. Christianity says, in view of. This is an event that's already happened. The mercy of God is readily available so in view, in light of, in, amazing, in the amazing fact of the mercy of God, Paul says, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now he says offer. Now it's a great word. He's saying open-handedly, I want you to give your life. Open-handedly, not like, oh, I'm not sure. But it's like this huge thank you to God. We obey Not to be accepted by God. We obey God because we have been in view of the mercy of God. If when you think about walking with God, if if any, if if a lot of like duty kind of thoughts come to your mind, like, oh, I got to, I got to, I got to, if that's what comes to your mind, red flags should be going off. Sirens should be beginning to signal. Because here's why: there's a core problem, there's a core issue at stake. Paul knows the truth of the gospel is this. If you've really embraced it, it'll be like, in view of God's mercy, I want to. Not because I, it's like a duty thing, I have to, but I would actually delight in it. I want to know, in view of his mercy, how do I worship him? How do I make my life an expression that the God who saved me is honored and pleased? That's what Paul's getting at. And then he says this, I I want you to to think of living sacrifices. He says, offer them your bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, It's this picture, not of a dead sacrifice, but a living one. One that's continually going before God and offering itself. It's it's a glad offering. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't really like? You ever done that? You got a vacuum for Christmas. And you were like, wow, thank you so much much for the vacuum that will allow me to continue to clean up after you. (laughs) You ever had that happen? I got Christina a juicer once, and 
I thought we needed a juicer. And she thought, after I had given it to her, I don't remember if it was for Christmas or her birthday, even worse. The way she tells the story is that I got her the juicer for me. She didn't really want the juicer. And I could see it right on her eyes when she opened it. I was like, well, what's wrong? And she said, you know, this is like years later. Well, you, you know, you, you really wanted the juicer. I, I didn't really want it, you know. But have you ever gotten a gift that blew your mind? Something that just caused you to go, whoa. Paul says if, if, if the gospel is that to you, he says, then you will gladly offer yourself. And then he says, I want you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's such a physical thing here. We see more, um, uh, uh, it really gets fleshed out even in Romans 6. Let me read this to you. It says, Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But he says this, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer, this is key, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. It's so physical. Paul says, I want you to give your body as a living sacrifice. That means you give your feet to God and you ask God, God, where do you want me to go today? God, if I went there, would that bring honor? Would that bring worship to you? Lord, do I need to go across the hall today? Lord, do I need to go across the street? Lord, where would you take me today that my feet would be an offering to you. It would bring worship and honor to you. Romans chapter 10, I love this. It says this, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And then Paul keeps going and he says, but blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Some of you God is going to call clear beyond this place to take the gospel to a place where people desperately need it. Your feet, you're going to offer them as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice before God. Offer your eyes to God. God, would you help me to see people the way that you see them? God, might I be sensitive to the needs of the people around me? God, who do I see that I need to encourage? Lord, who do I see that needs to hear the gospel? Lord, if my eyes are honoring to you, what would, dis what would I disdain? God, what would I say? God, give me the grace not to view. What would that be like? What if you offered your hands to God in worship? Again, it's so physical in this text. What does it look like for a follower of Christ to offer the work of their hands to God? You build a big company. You build a great God-honoring company. It looks like this. You bless God. You, you use your resources to bring him honor. You cook a meal for someone. That's the work of your hands. You bless a child. The work of your hands, it can be a spiritual offering to God. Paul says, you're a living sacrifice. Everything you do can be worshiped to him. Just asking this question was so helpful for me. I was in this, couldn't help but think about this last time, in a conversation with a neighbor, and I just asked, as we were ending the conversation, I asked, okay, I, my mouth is here in this conversation, right, obviously, and I, I said, what would it look like? What should I say that would be an act of worship? And it changed the way I talked. It made me say something. It made me throw out an invitation that I wouldn't have had I not asked that question what does it look like right now? What does it look like for you tomorrow? What does it look like for you this afternoon? What does it look like for you at lunch? You, the, everything you do, God, Paul says, bring all of you, every part of you. It's a living sacrifice to God. 
Think about this. The alternative is this. It's that life is all about you. And that gets old and ineffective and unimpactful and tiring. Tim Keller put it this way. It's a great quote. He said, there is nothing that makes you more miserable or less interesting than self-absorption. And then Paul says this, and, and don't miss this. Towards the end, he says, if you do that, this is your true and proper worship. Now, if you look into the, the, the translation of those words there, it's uh, this word logikos. Logikos, I think is how you say it. It's where we get the word logical. What it means is this. Paul, as he's writing this, he's saying this. This is your true and spiritual act of worship. What he's really saying is, this is what's logical. In light of everything I've said to you, Paul says, it's logical for you to give of yourself as a living sacrifice, to say, God, every part of me, how can I bring you honor on Monday? All of me. What, is it, what does it look like? You know, sometimes I think we can um, get a little um, maybe too narrowly focused when we think about what worship means. Worship is singing. It's a, it's a critical part of it, right? I love Rob's heart behind what we get to do in this place. You ask Rob what he's trying to do. He's trying to do this week after week. He's trying to raise up a church. He's trying to, to help us uh, continue to grow in this, to be a church that we unashamedly worship Jesus Christ. We unashamedly and we passionately worship him. So when we worship church, dive all in. Go for it. It is the logical, it is the true and proper thing to do. But in addition to singing, it is everything we do. The way you parent is, is worship. The way you work, it is worship. The way you clean, it can be worship to God. And then verse 12, Paul says this, he says, hey, it's not just your body, it's also your mind. And so he writes this, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But he says, if you think about being a living sacrifice, he says, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then if you do that, this is cool, you'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Meaning this, that if you're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but you're continually going back to God and he's transforming your mind, it's going to allow you to know, okay, this is where I need to go. This is what God wants me to do. This is who God wants me to be. This is what this should look like. Paul knew that unless a person was transformed by the renewing of their mind, they would be conformed. You and I will never drift into walking more with Jesus. It will, we'll never drift into that place. We'll never drift to being a holy and pleasing sacrifice. Paul says, no, 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 no. It takes some effort. It takes, you know, your mind being not conformed but transformed. There's a guy in a church, he recently said this. I love this. He's talking about how his life has been transformed. And, and he said, it's no secret to me how this happened. And then... It was cool. He said, it's this 365 thing. He said, I've never regularly read God's word in my life, but it's changing me. This is past week in our small group. This, one of the people said, I'll be real honest. When I read, when I seek God with an open heart, I'm a different person. And then they said, that day. And their spouse was like, amen, amen, yeah, yeah. But they were like, no, it's true. 
Like when, I, when my mind is transformed by this, I, I'm different. When I open the book and God speaks to me, transforms my mind, allows me to go before God and I can be a living sacrifice uh, before him. So back to our, our two questions. First one is this. Why is God worthy of our worship? Romans 1 through 11. I hope that's been clear. And then number two. Well, how do I worship? And Paul says this. You be a living sacrifice. You take all of you. Not just a little bit. Not just this hour. But you take your week. You take the ride home. You take that conversation tonight. You take that neighbor across. Whatever it is for you. And you say, God, all of me can be a, a worship expression to you, a huge thank you note for the grace in view of God's mercy. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. Imagine if you viewed the things that you do as worship. Imagine if how you interacted with a client tomorrow you viewed as an act of worship to God. Imagine if the way you disciplined a child this afternoon, you viewed it as, a wor- as worship to God. God, I'm helping this. I want him to honor you. I want her to honor you. Imagine if the way that you talked to a friend or to a spouse, you said, how can I worship God in this moment? Imagine what would it look like if you said, God, how can I worship you in, in, in being the kind of person that I step into broken relationships? What would that look like? How could you be a, an act of worship if you were the one that was the first to step across the racial divide and you just, you were willing, you embraced? That's an act of worship to God. Paul is adamant about it. In view of God's mercy, he says this, it is not the thing that you have to do. He says it's the thing that is logical to do. This is your true. This is your logical. This is the rational thing to do in view of God's mercy. So I want to close with this. I want to read this paraphrase to you of this passage. I love the language of this. So let me read this to you. It's Eugene Peterson. He just paraphrases the passage. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping and eating and going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. And then he says, instead, fix your attention on God. And you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants for you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of its immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What would it look like, church, if we just said, God, not out of any duty, but God, out of this sense of delight, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves to you. Would you do this with me now? Let's stand up together, and, um, and I'll pray for us. God, we stand and um, we stand with our whole body this morning and we just say, God, we pray that you would take us and you would allow the things that we do and say and all of who we are, God, we pray that it would be an honorable living sacrifice to you. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Um, It's so impactful to our hearts. Thank you for the truths of the gospel. Lord, I pray for the person that's here this morning and and maybe you're, you're out there and you just say, you know what, I've never understood the gospel. But I understood today that, okay, that, that people, they're, they're not born righteous. They're born far from God. 
And because of that, the wrath of God is coming. But yet, whoa, the good news. Though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God, by his grace, he, what does he do? He sends us Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. And so maybe this morning you say, you know what? I embrace the truth of Christ, and I'm so glad that nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God. Nothing will be able to separate me from that. Father, we love you. In view of the mercy of God, we say, Lord, we want to live as living sacrifices. We pray this.